Okay, time for another edition of Penn Live's Blue White Breakdown podcast. I'm Bob Flounders, joined by Greg Pickle. Uh, Going to talk some Lions in spring this week. Plenty of news coming out of spring practice, Greg, with uh, some conference calls uh, on players this week. Also, James Franklin and John Scott Jr., Penn State's defensive line coach. Uh, we heard from them. I heard from them uh, midweek. They had some interesting comments as well. The weather's great, Greg. Even though there's not going to be a blue-white game uh, a week from Saturday, we're taping this on a Thursday morning, even though there's not going to be a blue-white game, there is going to be a practice. There's a chance that a couple of Penn Live staffers will be up there. We're not going to mention any names, but it's always exciting to see, I think, Penn State Last time you and I saw them was in late December, so that would be exciting just to see what, what's kind of going on, maybe get a little bit of a look at Mike Yersich's coaching style. But, Greg, how are you doing? What's going on with you? And uh, what's, what's, what's maybe one or two things that jumped out from the player conference calls earlier this week? I know you were on a couple of them. What's going on with you, and what kind of what jumped out to you this week? Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Bob, because it's it didn't feel like that we'd ever get to a point where spring practice was here. And now as we talk about this on Thursday in the second week of April, it's almost over. So uh, it's amazing how quickly time flew by. But, yeah, you know, listening to the players talk, I know there's a couple of younger guys we're going to get into here yeah. in a bit. And, uh, you know, they had Keaton Ellis, Jordan Stout, and a couple other guys available this week. And... I mean, I you got to take some of this with a grain of salt. I mean, we've heard some good things about a lot of players so far. And, you know, there's some that have stood out more than others. I think the Temple transfer, Arnold Evichetti, is one guy yeah. who almost to a man, whether you talk to offensive linemen, defensive linemen, assistant coaches on either side of the ball, James Franklin, everyone raves about this kid. And it sounds to me like, you know – if you read between the lines a couple of weeks ago, Sean, uh, James Franklin kind of said that Sean Clifford is sort of no one. If you read between the lines, no one's really challenging him for the QB one job. And I don't think anyone's challenging Epichetti for the defensive end spot opposite uh, Adisa Isaac. So, you know, that's good news for him. I know you got a chance to listen to John Scott Jr. a little bit last mm-hmm. night, and there were some other guys he pointed out. But, yeah, I mean, the defensive line obviously didn't have the production that it has had in years past last season. I don't think it's an automatic, uh, you know, time to blame John Scott. But yeah. he did have a lot of returners and didn't really do as much production-wise with <clears throat> as we would have expected. So, yeah, beyond that, though, it, you know, things keep rolling along. It's been a good uh, opportunity to hear from some different people and get some different perspectives. And to your point, hopefully everything goes off as planned next weekend and we'll get to see some things in action. Yep. Greg, let's talk first about, you referenced it. Let's talk about Penn state's defensive line. We, I did hear, I got a chance to listen to John Scott on Wednesday night, uh, asked him about some players, Arnold Ebikati, the Ebikiti, the transfer from temple, uh, his name is uh, – he's a popular guy to ask about. And, Greg, that's because he was very productive at Temple last season as a redshirt junior. And Penn State fans, if you're smart, don't dismiss Temple defensive players. Uh, Temple has a pretty good recent track record of getting their best defensive players 
to play at a very high level, to play in the league. Penn State learned the hard way in 2015 that you, you know, dismiss Temple's defense at your own peril. You know, Greg, this is a guy that uh, you look at his body type and what he's listed at about 6'3", 245. You know, that's, that's, you know, that's not a lot of weight on a defensive end, but, but right. Penn State's had a defensive end, Greg, that's played it around that size and played pretty successfully in Shaka Tony. I'm just wondering, Greg, and your thoughts on this. Uh, John Scott Jr. said he felt very fortunate to get both uh, Arnold and Derek Tangelo uh, as transfers into the Penn State program in a year when they definitely needed defensive line help with who left. And he said that when it came to Arnold Ebikati, they were there was some competition there from some pretty high-end schools that also wanted his services. I think he, he only played six games last year, Greg, something like eight and a half tackles for loss. I think he had three forced fumbles. It was really his first year as a starter. And Greg, my question is, do you think, you know, as he played at Temple, I know, you, I think he was from Maryland. He wasn't a highly recruited kid, but, you know, playing at Temple, maybe the presence of Dion Barnes, maybe on the Penn State staff as a defensive end, similarly sized, and maybe Shaka Tony. I just wonder. I just wonder who kind of influenced him, maybe, to come to Penn State. Obviously, he had a great opportunity. He didn't have to go far to maybe start somewhere. That could have influenced him as well. But how do you connect the dots uh, when it comes to Penn State being able to secure the services? I think probably one of the better. Uh, defensive ends in the transfer portal. Yeah, I mean, I think the key here, Bob, was he was looking for a place that, you know, had had success in the past. And again, we'll note that Penn State had that success more so under Sean Spencer than they did right. in John Scott Jr. But I think there's still plenty, uh, you know, that they could sell there. But I think he also knew some some players on this roster and some guys who have gone through the recruiting process with Penn State before. And I think that obviously played a pretty big role in all of this. And I think also one thing that we shouldn't forget is that Penn State was one of the first, I think, to reach out to him and right. really get in front of him and say, hey, look, uh, we have this, that, and the other thing as opportunities um, for the play right away and to make a big impact. And I have a hard time thinking that the depth chart wasn't appealing to him and that's not trying to slight the guys who are still right. here but how many times are you going to go somewhere as a transfer and walk into a place where they don't have any starters along your <laughs> defensive line and not only do they not have any starters but they have very minimal uh, returning depth that has proven anything so far so you know you're an all AAC pick I understand it's a group of five but you know, that had to be pretty appealing to him based on everything that we knew he could do and where he could go. So, you know, the chips just kind of fell Penn State's way for one <clears> transfer <throat> portal. It doesn't always work out that yeah. way. You know, Tyke Smith, the former West Virginia safety picking Georgia over the weekend is a good example of that, where Penn State maybe, you know, uh, it could have been a similar situation there. I mean, obviously Brisker's back, but it's not like they have loads of safety production otherwise, but he had a position coach who went from West Virginia to Georgia and that connection is going to make, you know, be made again. So for Penn state, that's a tough loss, but with the defensive line, Bob, it was a pair of good wins. Yeah. One thing to watch. Uh, this is a foreshadowing alert, Greg, you may not 
agree with me before we move on, but with Penn State and their defensive ends, uh, Arnold is, James Trankin said, he ideally, he, when talking about Adisa Isaac and Arnold, he'd prefer them to be a little bit bigger going into the 2021 season. I think Adisa Isaac, you know, best case scenario, he's going to probably struggle to play at 245, 250. Um, he's another young player. Arnold, as I mentioned, is under 250 now. Uh, I think it's a priority, Greg, for them to get a little bit more weight and strength on them because they open against a team that likes nothing more than to try to shove the ball right down your throat, simplify the game, force you to stop their running game. They have a big offensive line. They always have good quarterbacks. Wisconsin, I'm talking about on September 4th. I know it's only one game, Greg, but it's James Franklin and his players have talked about it. It's a tone setter after what happened last year when they started 0-5. James said a couple weeks ago, we're going to find an awful lot out about our team early in the 2021 season, referencing the Wisconsin game on the road. And then a couple weeks later, they host Auburn, which always has some good athletes on defense. Before I move on to Rasheed Walker, Greg, is, is that something that is, you know, when James talks about that, usually when he brings something up, you know, it's, it's something that's probably stuck in his crawl. Is that, is that anything Penn state fans a should either be worried about or looking forward to and seeing if maybe those guys can get a little bigger? Well, I think they have to, I don't, you know, Penn state fans have to look forward to it because if these guys don't, you right. know, like you said, like James Franklin said, I think they're on the roster, both of them at like 241, 244, something like that. And yeah, maybe they're a little bit bigger than what that roster says. Conversely, maybe they're a little bit smaller than what that roster right. says. So how much do they have to do? I know it seems like the season's a long time away, but guess what? You lose a lot of weight during summer camp when you're out there, you know, getting after it in the heat and everything. So that's Penn State's biggest challenge. And again, the, the defensive line has to be better this year. The secondary has to be better yeah. this year. And they can help each other be better this year. But they've got a lot to prove at both of those spots. And I know that they have helped themselves with the two transfers up front. And we'll see if they can do anything in the back, Bob. But, yeah, I, I don't think there's any doubt that those yeah. guys have to put weight on and have to be able to carry it throughout the course of this season. But let's keep in mind, this is not the first group of guys at defensive end who will struggle with that because Shaka Tony did for a while too. Yep. Yep. So the blue white breakdown is moving on. I'm Bob Flounders with Greg Pickle. Let's talk. I want to talk about Rashid Walker. Penn States, he's now in his fourth year, but technically he's like still a redshirt sophomore because of the COVID. 2020 year this is a player that you and I are are very high upon because of his physical talent which is very obvious he, he Greg I would say he almost has the ideal body to play left tackle at a high level not only in college but in the pros 6'5 you know 325 the feet are quick so much to like about him he made Penn lies uh list of the 25 most interesting players and coaches this offseason for a reason. It was a pleasure doing that list with you, Greg. But the reason I want to bring him up a couple of times now in the last week, the vibe I pick up uh, from James Franklin is he views Rasheed Walker as a, a guy, a player with just a, such a high ceiling and he can get so much better. 
But when you hear comments like him saying, James saying, he's learned to become a better practice player and he's, he's starting to appreciate Penn State football all the more. I don't mean this in a negative, but I think James is trying to tell us that the light bulb has really started to go on with Rasheed Walker in terms of becoming maybe a more, uh, you know, a more professional, if you will, college player, a more professional approach. This is what you can do, you know, if you continue to develop, if you continue to practice at a high level. I think we've seen it before with some Penn State players, but do you think that maybe in a good way, James is kind of trying to send a message to Rashid, and maybe Phil Troutwine's doing it as well. Like, look, we know what you can be. You just need to do X, Y, and Z, and now you're starting to do it. You're going to see the rewards. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, even listening to him talk on Tuesday of this week, you just got the sense that him and Phil Troutwine have a really good relationship, and he is totally bought into what Troutwine is teaching. And on one hand, I think you're right that he's probably done some maturing and growing up over the last year, as have a lot of members of that of this roster. I think the 0-5 start kind of forced that, but yeah. I don't think there's any doubt either that being able to, to be with Phil Troutwine and watch film. And I think James Franklin said that he's always over at Troutwine's house doing stuff. I mean, they've developed a pretty good bond, it seems like. And uh, that obviously has everything, or in, or in, everything, if not a very large part, to do with the fact that he is able to be with him in person now, which wasn't the case yeah. last year. So, if Rasheed Walker's taking that jump, you can only imagine what kind of leap these other guys up front yeah. are taking: Juice Scruggs, Mike Miranda, Caden Wallace, uh, you know, Des Holmes. The list goes on. But you know, to me, that is very encouraging because you know Rasheed Walker could have left, and he said it was a hard decision to come back. Right now, would he have went? Yeah, I think it was probably a hard decision, but certainly the right one because he where he would have went versus right. where he could go after this year, I think are vastly different. You know, it's like sitting front yeah. row at Beaver Stadium versus up where we are. But um, <laughs> you know, I, I just think that with a big year here, he could be a first round guy. There's no doubt about it. And I don't know if that's the case if he leaves after 2020. In fact, I'm almost certain it's not. So yeah, yeah uh the fact that he's made all these strides if they actually transfer over to game day, um, he's gonna make himself a lot of money this year. He's gonna keep uh Sean Clifford much healthier this year and he's gonna anchor a Penn State line that I'm not even going to say it, but could be, you know, I guess I will, could be better this year. <laughs> Penn State fans don't want to hear about the offensive yeah. line. We always, the last couple of years, we've been singing their praises. They started 0-5, started 0-5 last year, gave up some sacks. And, you know, there were some issues in 2019. But uh, you see flashes from a couple of these players that you know you see NFL ability. I, I don't think there's any question Mike Miranda, Mike Miranda is an NFL player, not a tackle. Caden Wallace is a player to watch this year at the other tackle spot. Uh, Juice Scruggs' uh, development uh, coming off the back injury that was very significant a couple years ago. That's a great story. I think Penn State's got a lot of pieces that they like on the offensive line. I think Rasheed Walker as the left tackle at that size is probably their top player. But I do think there's some other players that are positioned to make a big move with a good spring on field with Phil Troutline. And I think we'll just have to wait and see what that offense looks like and what Mike Yersich, what Mike Yersich sees in that offensive line. I wonder if he's going to do some things that are quite different, Greg, 
that maybe Kirk Shiraka tried to do and could not because of spring. But let's just move along. Craig, the fan base always wants to know about the January enrollees or the first year or the red shirts. Who who's looked good in spring and who is ready? You, you didn't hear you didn't really hear his name yet, but you're going to hear it this year. There are these two players are related, so this is actually even uh, a neater story. But um, it's it's uh, it's Kobe King and Kalen King. I want to make sure I got their names right. Kobe is the corner, Greg. Kalen is the linebacker. Wrong. It's the other way. Or it's the other way. That's right. Kalen is the corner. Kobe is the linebacker. Yep. Um, and it's the corner that's really got more of the praise this spring. But now they're starting to talk about Kobe King as well. These are first-year players. Greg, it's not a surprise for a corner to play at Penn State in his first year, be it in a reserve role, in an extra DB set, or on special teams. But for a true freshman linebacker to draw some, some praise, when Penn State returns all three starters – and they're very high on second-year linebacker Curtis Jacobs. What do you think that means for Kobe King? They're both out of Michigan, the Detroit area. I think you like both of them as we talked about, you know, the recruiting classes starting to come together. What can you tell us about those two? And when you hear James Franklin talk about them as guys that could help this year, um, who do you like better? Yeah, I mean, they're one step, you know, they're one step away from being anointed uh five stars and Kalen was a four star Kobe was a three star but I mean every time we talk to somebody those two yeah. come up and I think that you watching their tape you know you got a sense that they could be pretty good at some point early in their career I don't know if I anticipated this much right discussion about them at this point in time I mean you're right uh for a corner to get on the field early it's easier uh but at the same time Penn State has a pretty deep corners room especially yeah. with three Castro fields back so you know I don't know how they see him fitting in there if he's a nickel if he's a corner if he's just a rotation guy but I mean they are certainly going to use his four games up I would think if not more yeah and then with Kobe King, you know, Jesse Lucetta, Ellis Brooks, obviously battling inside. We heard James Franklin say on Wednesday, yeah. that if the season started, to, and I don't, it was, I don't think this is a surprise to anyone. You know, uh, if the season started today, that that Brandon Smith and Curtis Jacobs would start uh, at the outside linebacker spots, which. I don't think that surprises anyone, but, you know, inside, I think it could be more of a battle. And I'm not saying Kobe King's going to be ready immediately to jump in and do um, to do it, Bob, but it, man, they both are making pretty big jumps at this point uh, during not just the spring practice, but we heard these names from Dwight Galt after winter workouts too. So these guys wasted no time making an impression. Yep. Curtis Jacobs, second year, one of the top players, in the 2020 uh, Penn State recruiting class. 21. 21, sorry. Um, no, that's not right. Twenty. No, yeah, 2021? Yes. Curtis Jacobs? Okay, anyway. No, no, you're right. I'm I was going to say, Jacobs, I, I felt strongly I had this one right because he played he in 2020. That's all right. right. We're both minus one so far yeah. today. That's all okay. Right. All right, Curtis Jacobs played sparingly in 2020. Uh, didn't see the field a lot, but he was just a uh, really touted player. 
by the by the time Penn State signed him to his 2020 in, in its 2020 class, a lot of people kind of thought he was a five star talent, not a four star talent. Theo Johnson was in that class. I know Penn State likes him. Curtis Jacobs is on the move this year. He's going to play the strong side position, the Sam position, linebacker. That was the spot that Brandon Smith started at last year. Uh, the difference is, he, even though it says strong side, that linebacker plays in space, Greg. It's kind of a weird designation. It plays to the to the, to the field side, not the boundary side. Penn State fans were frustrated last year because Brandon Smith, the five-star, was <laughs> was so far away from the ball he was out in space away from the line of scrimmage well that's the that's the role that Curtis Jacobs who's only 228 pounds uh is going to work at this year Brandon Smith is now going to go to the will spot that was the spot Micah Parsons had a couple years ago where he became an all-american the will spots is the boundary linebacker next to the middle linebacker um he you know, that, that's a, that's in the box, Greg. You're closer to the line of scrimmage. If you see a play, you, you can kind of get to the ball a little bit quicker. Greg, I think this is a great fit and a great move for, for Brandon Smith in his career in his third year. He led Penn State in tackles for loss, playing in the outfield last year with eight. I, I just wonder why Penn State didn't make this move a little bit sooner. But, Greg, I think this bodes well. For Penn State's linebacker group, they got their most talented, physically talented linebacker closer to the line of scrimmage. Do you agree? I do, but I'm curious about this, Bob. True or false, Lance Dixon's departure had more or less to do with Curtis Jacobs' development. Does that tell us that in your mind that Curtis Jacobs was so far along that Lance Dixon kind of saw the train coming down the tracks, or do you think Dixon wanted a better situation somewhere else and Maybe that has nothing to do with Curtis Jacobs' progression. Yeah, I think it could be both. But I just remember, Greg, watching Lance Dixon when we we saw him up close when we were at the Beaver Stadium games. He just looked so small, even on TV. I I really thought they it was a a safety trying to play in the box, you know, at the line of scrimmage. And he was a he guessed a lot, Greg. He when, when he guessed right, he used his speed and he could make the play. But Greg, when he guessed wrong, that Penn State front seven got gashed. I, I think that they like, I don't think there's any question that they like Curtis Jacobs, but I think Lance Dixon just wasn't the way that Penn State uses their linebackers and where they were using him. I don't know that it was a great fit. I think he did see the writing on the wall, but to me, he just looked like he was a little too small. I think he is at West Virginia now, and maybe they'll maybe use him a little bit more as a hybrid player, or is he at Michigan? I can't remember where it is. West Virginia. West Virginia. I think he's more of a hybrid player than a pure linebacker, but there's no question when James Franklin said, yeah, yeah, he's uh, what Curtis Jacobs would probably start if the season was going to start. I just, I just immediately, I, I know I shouldn't laugh about this, but I'm sure Ellis Brooks and Jesse Locator are like, what? Wait, there's four of us. We started last year, but I think that Penn State knows, Greg, they need to get more speed on the field I think Jesse and Ellis Brooks can can have a defined role uh, as linebackers but you want in this game they're going to spread you out or you got to be quick to react I think I think it makes a lot of sense to have Curtis and Brandon Smith on the field I just don't know who's going to be the the odd man out between Lucada and uh and Ellis Brooks yeah I don't either but it should be an interesting battle to see and 
you know, again, I think we, I, I, I don't think we can count out Kobe King from that battle either. Okay. Obviously a really difficult thing for a freshman to come in and play that middle linebacker role and kind of move the defense and everything else. And it would be rather crazy if Kobe King got that opportunity and Micah Parsons did not as a freshman, but uh, you know, <laughs> uh, we've heard enough about the, the King twins to think that, you know, either we're being fed a line of, you know, they're either being overinflated or these two really did come in with the kind of work ethic drive and ability to have put themselves in these conversations. And I think it's the latter. I think they have. Yeah. Penn state since just as James's eighth season, Almost, you know, every time he's mentioned a young player in spring, you know, it's it's not he's not just blowing smoke, uh, especially a scholarship player. If you hear that, if you hear the players or a prominent assistant or James talk about this player repeatedly, if he stays healthy, he's going to he's going to have a role on the team in the fall, even if it's special teams and, you know, second team. They almost never, they almost never talk up a player if they don't really like him. I think that bodes well for the Kings. So let me try this again. Kalen King is the corner. Kobe King is the linebacker, right? Nailed it, Bob. All right. Uh, before we wrap up this edition of the Blue-White Breakdown, I just want to throw this out there. Uh, Harrisburg High's Micah Parsons has gotten an invite to the NFL draft. Not a big shocker, Greg. The draft is going to be in Cleveland um, at the end of this month. I think it starts on a Thursday, maybe the last Thursday in April, if I'm not mistaken. I know you and I are looking forward to seeing this draft with the Penn State players. My only, for, on a personal note, though, Greg, my only question is, you know, I think, I think media seating is going to be a challenge at the draft. Had we had the chance to go to Cleveland, you and I, and go to the flats, see the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, maybe take it in Indians game. Like who how much trouble do you think we could have gotten into if we had a chance to drive out to Cleveland and spend a couple of days at the draft? Be honest. Yeah, I would say quite a bit, Bob. Quite a bit. So maybe the pandemic, details, just quite a bit. Right. Maybe the pandemic helped us out there. But yeah, so <laughs> He'll be out there. I think they what said it like the list of I don't know ten or so guys. There'll yeah. be ten or fifteen more. I'm sure they're going to try and do as much of it in person as possible. So right. yeah, at this point, obviously Micah is. I, the mock drafts are crazy. I mean, yeah. they have him. Just about every team in the top 25 could possibly draft him or have the chance to anyway. So we'll see. Uh, it could be smoke screens. It could be something else, but. You know, he's, here's a guy who, I mean, just looks fantastic, looks, um, you know, mm -hmm. like he's ready for the pros. And, you know, we'll see how things shake out in, what, two weeks' time? It's, it's not far away, that's for sure. I can't wait. The weather's great. We got a – there's a Penn State practice coming up that hopefully uh, some media members will be able to attend so we can share some more thoughts. But that's not for another couple of Saturdays. We will be back with the Blue-White Breakdown Next week, Greg and I, probably Dave Jones will make an appearance next week as well. It's almost it's it's literally a daily blue-white podcast, especially in season. You'll hear from uh Dustin Hawkinsmith uh, at times also. We've been doing it for a while. We enjoy doing it, Greg. People can go where to rate us, review us, watch us, listen to us, see more of Lola the Golden Retriever. Where what's the best avenue? 
to consume the Blue White Breakdown podcast. You know it, Bob. The Blue White Breakdown podcast is available wherever you get your audio. So Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Apple, anywhere you find podcasts, you'll find us in the videos, youtube.com slash all Penn State.